If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, the 20th chapter. The Gospel of Matthew, the 20th chapter. And the sermon this morning is called Good to Great. Uh, many of you probably have read the book Good to Great by Jim Collins. And uh, I wanted to just share a few principles that he found that I thought were interesting and uh, how uh, interesting it is that some of his findings uh, go back to the teachings of Scripture and prove the, uh, the principles of Scripture, not just in the spiritual life, but even in the everyday life. Uh, first of all, Collins found in his book, Good to Great, uh, he was looking at levels of leadership, what types of people there are that lead organizations that are successful for 15 years or more. And on the first level, he found what we call highly capable individuals, that people who make productive contributions through talents and skills. The next level uh, was contributing team members, people who contribute and have capabilities and effectively work with others. And we're talking about leaders here. Competent managers, people who are great organizers of people and resources to efficiently accomplish the mission. Level four, an effective leader, as he called it, was someone who has a clear vision and pushes for excellence. Now, a great leader, and I, I put a semantically, I put the term that, I think would be best descriptive of Jesus, is one called a servant leader. And sometimes you even see this in the secular writings. Uh, it's a person who possesses the primary characteristic of humility and who is focused on the vision. In, in uh, our terms, we would call it a calling. Someone who has a spirit of humility, who is following the calling that God has placed in their life through the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Collins would simply call it someone who... Uh, has this, who is humble and who has a vision and works to accomplish that vision. Matter of fact, he goes as far as to say that the effective leaders of today are more and more of CEOs of companies who are in effect becoming invisible as opposed to more in the front, more in the limelight. And uh, how true that is to be for our church. How true and what a great compliment would it be for our church for people to say, I don't know who the pastor is. I don't know who the elders is, but I know that God is there. I know that God is moving. I know that God is working there. What a great compliment. What a great vision. What a great uh, statement to be made about the church today. That it's not the human leader that, that the church is known by, but it's the spirit of which... God has worked through, the Holy Spirit has worked through the people to make an impact in the lives of those in that church and in the community. You know, if you were to ask me the question, am I a level five leader? I'd, I'd tell you no. I, I want to be. And, um, and I know every once in a while that somebody works real hard to, to humble me, uh, to help me in that process. And I appreciate your assistance in that. Uh, but it is an area of which I, I long for it to be true of our church. I long for that to be a true statement of our church, not to be focused on me, not for it to be focused on you. See, the problem with the church is when it becomes me-centered, when it becomes, what about me? What do I get? What are you going to do for me? Me, 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 the me church. Now, I've got a little video I want to show you here, and some of you have seen it before, and it may seem over the top, but if we're not careful, this is the spirit that we're portraying. If we would, let's run that video. About me, 
all about you. Now, the greatest collection of me worship ever assembled on one CD. It's all about all 20 songs, all about you. This amazing collection is great to share with friends, if you have any. Everyone can join in the worship with you, for you, and about you. Because you are unique, and you love you. There is none like me. For only $19.95, operators are standing by to serve you. And I am why I sing, and I am why I live. If you order now, you'll also receive a second CD of Yule Tide Favorites. Call 1-800-ME-ME-ME or order online at meemyselfandi.com. Day because no one can praise you like you. All right, you get the point there. Uh, in your bulletins, and we're not going to go over this morning, but there are some characteristics of what it looks like to be a leader, a, a servant leader. Matter of fact, you know, I get this question quite often. You know, I want to be a spiritual leader. I want to be one at home. I want to be a spiritual leader. And what does that look like? And so interesting, so many times we think, well, they think, people think, you know, if I'll just pray more and read my Bible more, then that will make me a spiritual leader. But it may be, maybe it won't. You cannot know God and pray. You cannot know God and read Scripture. The truth of it is, a servant leader is one who has become, so to speak, possessed by the Spirit of God. It's someone whose heart has been totally engrafted into the heart of God who begins to think like Christ, who begins to live like Christ. And certainly, the Scriptures has a lot to tell us about how that can be made possible. And this morning, in Matthew 20, 20, uh, we are coming on the cusp of Jesus telling the, the story of the vineyard. And then He just tells us in verse 17, 18, and 19, He foretells His death and His crucifixion and what it will be like and what He will go through. And right after that, we pick up right here. Adventures and missing the point, I would almost say. In verse 20, Then the mother of Zebedee's son came to Jesus with her sons, and kneeling down, asked him for a favor. Now, again, realize Jesus has just pronounced his death. He's just pronounced his crucifixion, his scourging. And the mother of Zebedee, who we know is James and John's mother, who is actually, in fact, Jesus' aunt. Her name is Salome. Salome here is speaking. And she comes and she kneels before Jesus. Here's his aunt, who has probably baked cookies for him, made matzah for him. And she is coming and kneeling before him and says, Jesus, I have a question for you. I have a request for you. I have a favor to ask you. And what is it that you want, Jesus asked. And she said, Grant that one of these two sons of mine sit on your right and the other sit on your left in the kingdom. Now, she was doing this because just in our previous chapter, in Matthew chapter 19, verse 28, Jesus had spoken of His kingdom and the thrones that would be available. And so she had been listening to that part. I'm sure James and John were 
encouraging their mother. She'd said, I ought to go up there and just tell them right now. And, and they said, yeah, Mom, why don't you do that probably? And so they had heard this message about the throne and about the kingdom. And of course, they had been uh, dreaming of the day that the Messiah would come that would take away the oppressive Roman government and they would be restored to their rightful place in society. And now Jesus, He must be that Messiah. He just talked about a crucifixion. He just talked about death, but I don't know what He was talking about. Jesus, I heard the throne part. I don't know about your death part and your cross part, but I did hear the crown part. I did hear the throne part. And that's what I'm interested in. That's what I'm here for. Jesus, you know, it's been the three of us. You know, uh, Peter's been with us. But really, you know, we're, we're your cousins here. Here's your nice Aunt Salome. And uh, what's happening here, Jesus? Would you do this for us? And Jesus says, you have no idea what you're asking me. You don't have a clue, is basically what Jesus is saying here. Jesus said to them, can you drink the cup I'm going to drink? Now, that's a euphemism for basically his, his death. But also, it was a term that was used frequently. It was kind of an expression that they would use in that day and time. And it meant, can you fully embrace till the very end what I am saying? Can you really drink from the cup that I'm about to drink from? And they said, sure, we can do that. We'd be happy to. Jesus, we're here with you. Whatever you need, here we are. Uh, show us where you'd like us to sit. Show us what you'd like us to do. And Jesus said, yeah, you're going to drink from my cup. You're going to drink from it, okay? Matter of fact, we know from early Christian history, and it's even listed here in the book of Acts later on, that James becomes the first martyr of the church, the first disciple, so to speak, who's, who's killed. And we see that, and then later on we know John is exiled to the Isle of Patmos, which is basically just a rugged, treacherous place uh, of which there were no uh, necessities. And he basically suffered. Uh, in that that environment, and he said, "Yes, you're you're going to taste from the cup, particularly you, James. But to who sits at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father." Interestingly enough, it says these places belong for those. It's not for an individual necessarily. Okay, we're talking about those who come through the cross. Here's the picture. They wanted the crown, but Jesus was offering the cross. Before you get to the crown, you must first go through the cross. Today, it's not that much different. We still find ourselves ascribing, even in our spiritual lives, for what God can do for me. God, I want you to help me to get ahead. I want you to take so-and-so down and give me their job. God, I want you to do this and that. And God, I want you to curse them. And God, why are you blessing them? You're missing the point, God. I want the crown. God, I've been going to church. I've helped in the nursery. I put money in the offering plate. I'd like the crown, please. I'd like the proper seat. I don't know what these people are doing sitting in my seat, God, but uh, this is where I belong. This is where I would like to be. And God, you know, after all, I've earned it. It's all about me. Jesus continues here, and He says, These places aren't for those. These places belong to those whom they have been prepared by My Father. You don't understand, but it will be My death that provides that throne. 
it will be the cross. You won't earn it or deserve it, and you certainly can't work your way into it. And when the ten heard this, they were indignant with the two brothers. They were mad. I mean, they were hacked off. Can you believe that they went and they asked to be on the throne? And you know why they were mad? Because why didn't I think of that? <laughs> I should have done that. I should have been the one that said, oh, God, I missed my chance. I was waiting for that. I was thinking, you know, I ought to say something, Jesus, if you don't mind, I'd like to be on the throne there. And then their mom comes and does it for them. And they're so mad. Kind of reminds me, you know, today's Super Bowl Sunday. I remember when I was living back in Louisiana, and I remember uh, way back when, in the 80s, when they started doing these Super Bowl parties at churches, and then they'd do the service at halftime. I remember people getting mad. I am so mad that church is doing that over there. That makes me so angry. They're showing the Super Bowl and trying to do church at halftime. That makes me mad. That's not right. And what they're really saying, I'm mad because I can't go to the Super Bowl and I have to go to church on Sunday night. That's what they were really saying. They're really mad about that. I remember I had a friend whose church did a 3.30 service, and this other guy was telling me how evil that was and how bad it was. You know, and it's really did because they're mad because they want to watch Super Bowl and they're having church on Sunday night and they know they're going to show up there and hardly anybody's going to be there. And so that's what they were really angry about. They were mad that they didn't come up with the idea first, okay? And so that's kind of the picture right here. The picture is, man, it's not that I think they really probably did something wrong. It's really that I can't believe that they asked and I didn't. And Jesus called them all together and He said, come over here, everyone. Jesus is obviously omniscient. He knows that they're all missing point. And He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over Him and their high officials exercise authority over them. He says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them. You know that the Caesars, everybody knows who the Caesar is. I mean, there are statues here. His name is inscribed. We have to sing certain songs about him sometime. We all recognize him, and he makes sure that everybody knows that he is the final authority. And then the next, the, the rulers, those, the generals, the senators, and even in the, our own Jewish culture, the Sanhedrin, they always make sure that we know that they are in authority, that they are up here and we're down here. And it's always known and we're always reminded in everyday life, whether it be by visibility or by practicality, the way that we are forced to live. It's ruled over it. Jesus says, but it's not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Jesus said, I, I know this is what you have seen modeled, and I know this is what you're thinking. You're thinking, I want to be next to the Caesar. I want to be on the Sanhedrin. I want to be a senator or an officer. That's what I want to be. And Jesus says, you're missing the point. That's not the way it's going to work for you. That's not the way it's going to be. Matter of fact, if you want to be great in my kingdom, then you're going to have to learn how to be a servant. And by the way, being a servant is an acquired taste. Okay? Most of us don't just wake up and say, it looks like a fun thing to do. I think I'll go clean the church today. Uh, I think I'll hold babies today. I think I'll work with toddlers. Uh, I think I'll go out and pick up litter around the church or I think I'll go help someone who can't help me. That's more of an acquired taste, isn't it? I mean, the real truth of it is, is that's not naturally what we're going to want to do or what we're going to want to be. Jesus says, if you want to become great, 
you must first become a servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. What does it look like to be a servant leader? What does it look like to be great in the kingdom of God? I've told you this story before, but I think it merits repeating for me. Um, I remember I was uh, had gone to work at a large church to do work with this, this large ministry, and I was excited about it. And I think probably for a lot of the wrong reasons, quite frankly, which is if you want to know what my greatest sin is, my greatest struggle, it's doing the right things for the wrong reasons. And so it's, it's for you too. It just might not be your greatest sin, but you've got it too. But we all struggle with that. And I remember um, I was going to be in charge of this big Bible study. And uh, I remember we were doing the Song of Solomon. We had like 4,000 people coming. And I remember my supervisor said, you know what we need you to do? Uh, these Monday nights, this is what I need you to do. I need you to uh, direct parking. I need you to put on this orange vest. I want you to get a little team together. I want you to go out and lead because we're going to need strong leadership out there. Not like that made me feel good. And I'm going to need you to direct the parking. I was thinking, I don't want to do the parking. I want. I'm in charge of the big Bible study, and that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And uh, I remember just being so mad. Just not what I came over here to do. This is not my job. And I was so angry and I was so frustrated. And wouldn't you know, the first night it's raining. And I'm out there, my orange vest. As a matter of fact, I first walked out there and one of the guys said, You need to put this. I said, I don't want to wear the vest. He goes, Well, actually, you have to. This kind of city requires it if we're going to be out here. So I put my vest on. I have my deal. And about that time it starts raining. People are coming in and my friends are going, Hey, Ro, what are you doing? I'm going, directed traffic. It's this way. Like, Turn your lights off, please. Let's just move on. And I was so mad I wanted to quit. I was so mad because that's not what I signed up to do. I'm supposed to be up there in front of the big Bible study. Everybody's supposed to see my face. And uh, I remember getting home that night and I was so mad. You know, I was thinking, am I going to quit? Am I going to go in there and let them have it? I, was, I just remember praying, and God said, you know, you're, you're really a servant. <laughs> you're really a servant leader. You talk about humility, but you have no idea what it means, do you? And, um, I mean, I knew he was right, but I didn't want to admit it. And that didn't make me feel better right then, by the way, either. It didn't make me feel any better. I was mad still for about three or four days. And it seemed like every time I'd read my Bible, it's just like it'd jump out on the, from the page. Humility. Being a servant being like Christ. And by the time the next, sun, the next Monday night came around, I, uh, I still didn't like it, but I knew this. I knew that that's where I was supposed to be. I knew that God hadn't even done that by accident. I knew that I'd been to seminary and I'd learned theology, but I'd not learned humility. You know, sometimes it's more important that we learn to serve than we learn to quote Bible verses. Because until we can learn to serve... Those verses don't really mean a whole lot. Scripture's important, but it's important when we apply it with the right heart and the right mindset, that we don't abuse the very nature of what's being stated. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You're going to be a servant, but you're going to choose to be a servant. And not only that, sometimes people are going to treat you 
like a servant. Now, there's the real rub. The real rub is this. It's not that I've chosen to serve. It's that now people are treating me like a servant. Don't you hate it when that happens? Booker T. Washington tells the story of how he had just become the president of Tuskegee University in Alabama. And he uh, was walking through a wealthy neighborhood close to his university. And someone saw him. And, um, and he wasn't dressed real nicely that day. He was, it was his day off. And because he was African-American, this lady asked, she goes, would you like to make a little money and come over here and chop some wood for me? And um, he goes, sure, I'll do it. She had no idea that this is one of the most brilliant men of this day and age. He's the president of a university. And so she calls him and he, he begins to chop the wood. And then when he gets through chopping the wood, he doesn't even accept her money. He said, no, it's just a good exercise. Well, as he was walking away, uh, the neighbors saw him, and she told him, she goes, do you know who that was? And she finds out who it was, and she went and she apologized. And she goes, I am so sorry. I had no idea who you were. I would have never asked you to chop the wood. And he goes, no, it's okay. It's good for me to get a little exercise in sometimes. And uh, he went on about his business. Later on, when they got ready to renovate the, the uh, campus, uh, guess who was able to coordinate uh, some of the biggest donators and uh, the biggest donors and to lead uh, the charge in raising money. It was that lady. Because a man who was well-educated, who was more educated and more fluent than the lady that he even chopped the wood for, chose to not insist that he be called by his title, but chose to serve. What a great picture of what it means to be a servant. Just as Christ has come not to serve, to be served, but to serve. Why do you want to be great? Why do you want to be a spiritual leader is the first question we have to ask. It doesn't mean that you teach a class. It doesn't mean that you can pray longer or that you know more Bible studies. Servanthood, of course, is a required or an acquired taste and a required taste. We see in Scripture here, we see an example of... Why Salami and James wanted to be, and John wanted to be a great leader. First of all, the way they went about it was control and manipulation. Salami said, she came and she kneeled before Jesus. because I'd like to ask you a favor. We see that ploy of manipulation and control. Don't you know how you feel when your child sometimes kind of tries to manipulate you? Don't you know that God on about a thousand times beyond that scale is just going, are you kidding me? What are you doing? What are you telling me about? You've done this. You've done that. Are you serious? Secondly, the ambition. It's not wrong to have a spirit of ambition, to want to accomplish things, or even want to accomplish great things for God. Nothing wrong with that. But this ambition was totally self-serving. It was totally self-centered. It was basically the kind of ambition when we begin to use it to make a name for ourselves or a profit for ourselves. Do you know that that's actually taking the Lord's name in vain? When we seek to take the church or the name of God in order that we might establish profit, in order that we might establish a bigger reputation, that is taking the name of the Lord in vain in a spirit of ambition. The power, that's what they were seeking. Control, ambition, and power. The keys to greatness is not power, but it is in character. Now, we've all been served by greatness. What does that look like? Well, first of all, Christ has served us by His own greatness. 
The Bible tells us in this passage here at the end of Matthew chapter uh, 20, uh, beginning with verse 28, it says, Just as the Son of Man came, did not not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. That word ransom, uh, luzon right there is the Greek word, and it literally means that you have been purchased. You have been redeemed. In other words, there was a huge debt on your account, and it has been wiped away. It has been paid. You have been ransomed. You have been taken from that indebtedness. It's like you're in, in that day and age when you went into heavy debt, they would often you would become a servant slash type of slave until you could pay that debt off. And sometimes people would have so much debt that they would never get out of it and they would be a servant the rest of their life. That was the picture here. Your debt is so high, your sin is so great, you've not been forgiven Excuse me, unless you experience forgiveness, you'll never earn your way out of it. And Jesus said, that's what I've come to do, to ransom you, to rescue, to save you from your debt. Jesus, the Bible tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that He humbled Himself even to the point of death, death on a cross. The Holy Spirit... We have been served by the greatness of the Holy Spirit because it's the Spirit of God that draws men to repentance. We don't just come up with it on our own. We're not that good. But the Holy Spirit draws us and convicts us and speaks to us. It empowers us for transformation in our lives. Through other believers, I think of my own life and my grandfather's Allison's grandfather was a minister as well as my grandfather. And I, I remember them, even though I was very young, as two incredibly humble men. I think of uh, my first Sunday school teacher that I really remember was a, a, when I was a fourth grade boy named Ron Gresham, who uh, really more by his character and by his, his lifestyle ministered to me to such a great degree that I, for the first time I started to care what the Bible said. Up to that point, it was just something that I came and had to check off and do because my parents made me do. I remember Kathleen Bolton, who when I was a ninth grade boy, who invested, her and her husband invested their lives in my life and made me have a hunger for God because of the character and because I recognized in their heart who they were and what they had. And then I think of uh, an evangelist who didn't even have a high school degree. His name was Bobby Moore, who, who spent time with me and prayed with me and told me he felt like God wanted to use me one day, and told me he felt like I might even possibly be a minister one day, which uh, he might as well have told me that um, I was going to be the President of the United States for all that I believed at that time. But I think about the investment that other believers made in my life. I think about the way that they served me. I think about this, uh, these two ladies, Sandra McBee and Sandra Reeves, who prayed for us, got on their face, and we told them we were going to do this church, and at the time it was just uh, my wife and me, and that was it. We told them we're going to be leaving our church and going, and, and, uh, and at that point it was just the two of us. And I remember them getting on their faces and praying for us. I'll never forgive that. I'll never forget the way that we were served. What about you this morning? Do you feel like you've really drank from the cup as Jesus has described it here. The disciples said, sure, we'll, we'll drink from the cup. They didn't understand. And indeed, they would drink from the cup. Indeed, they would have to experience And Salome, interestingly enough, was there at the time of the cross. She was there with her sister Mary, experiencing that time. The cup. What does that mean to you?
I'll tell you what it means. It's the cross. We desire the crown, but are we willing to experience the cross? Finally, how can I be great for God? You know, the Bible tells us uh, insistently over and over again that the primary characteristic of Christ is His love. Sharing the love of Christ is so important. Letting others know of the goodness and the grace of God's mercy. The way that we have experienced His mercy. As we serve others, as we love others, as we share with others. The encouragement of others. Encouraging others who need assistance, who need help, who need to be uh, encouraged. I think of a story when I was... How many of you remember RAs when you were a kid? It was the thing I had to go to on Wednesday nights. I had no idea it had anything to do with missions uh, until I got older. I had, I had no idea until I was in high school. I thought it was basketball. Uh, I thought that's why you did that on Wednesday night. And there were about six or seven of us. And if you, I remember the year before, I was president of RAs. You don't need monograph or anything. But I, I, I remember I was the president of RAs. And uh, what that meant was you, you led the prayer at the beginning of the time. That's what it really meant. That's all you really did. And, uh, you know, my friends and I, we had done it a couple times, and we really didn't care to do the prayer anymore. And I'll never forget, we got to the place where we were uh, going to have elect the president again this year. I remember a guy named Joey Spears, who I always tried to be nice to, but nobody was really friends with Joey. Joey had big, thick glasses. He was, he was really a nerd. Uh, he didn't have very good social skills. And I remember saying, I nominate Joey Spears to be the president. I'll never forget Joey looking up his head. It's just I didn't even know Joey could even look up. And he, he looked up and he, he, he walked up there and we voted and everybody was unanimous. Nobody else wanted to run. And um, he was so excited. And I saw him kind of blossom. And all he really did was pray before each meeting. And I remember the next year when it was time to elect the president, he wanted to do it again. I'm like, sure, I can do it again, Joey. And, you know, that was nothing. Uh, I get no um, no accolades for that because... I, that wasn't really anything that I wanted or cared about. But can I tell you, it made an impact for him because he felt recognized. He felt needed. He felt valued. What is it that you're doing for the kingdom of God that makes others feel valued? You know, that's one of the reasons we have so many service opportunities. That's one of the reasons that I believe Jesus created the church as He did because it calls for so many people to serve. Giving of yourself and your resources. I think of a couple of men and a couple of women who last weekend when we had grand opening, they were constantly up here serving. They were up here cleaning. They were up here moving stuff around. They were up here getting the sound ready, getting the electronics ready. And they constantly served. And you don't know their name. You don't know that they exist. Which is really how Jesus desires for it to be. We live in a world that wants to popularize and edify the man. But God is looking for a person. He's looking for men and women who seek to bring Him glory as opposed to themselves. How are you giving of yourself and of your resources? A great quote by one of my heroines, Teresa, Mother Teresa, goes like this. People are unreasonable, illogical, and self-centered. Love them anyway. If you do good, people may accuse you of selfish motives. Do good anyway. If you are successful, you may win false friends and true enemies. Succeed anyway. The good you do today may be forgotten tomorrow, 
do good anyway. Honesty and transparency make you vulnerable, but be honest and transparent anyway. What you spend years building may be destroyed overnight. Build anyway. People who really want to help may attack you if you help them. Help them anyway. Give the world the best that you have and you may get hurt. Give the world your best anyway. I want to invite you this morning to become great in the kingdom of God. And the first step of that is by recognizing that He is God and there's nothing beneath us that He can ask. It begins with serving. It begins receiving of the grace and the forgiveness that He offers this day. Recognizing that you cannot earn it or deserve it. You cannot be good enough. You must receive it. Recognizing that the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Recognizing that Jesus said this six, ten, six times in the Gospels, more than any other quote that He made, He who seeks to be first shall lose his life. But he who loses his life for my sake shall find life. Have you lost your ego for the cause of Christ? Or are there things that you're still unwilling to do, unwilling to serve, unwilling to help? then you're missing what it means to be great in the kingdom. You're missing the whole point of what it means to be a spiritual leader.